Welcome. Welcome, my friends, to the Beggars and Brawlies podcast. This is episode 45, recorded Friday, the 29th of April, 2022, on a rainy, cold day in Colorado. And today I have some belated thoughts for you on what we can learn about the biggest Kickstarter in history, uh, Brandon Sanderson's Secret Projects. And no, it's not the death of publishing. It's uh, kind of the opposite, actually. So there's been a lot of stink and talk around this giant Kickstarter that Brandon Sanderson did. I think it ended up at 42 million, something like that. Just crazy. Um, People are calling it tone deaf for him, dropping this massive thing right as there's a war happening in Ukraine and people have other places to give their money. Um, I think there's a lot of jealousy going around. And I'm glad that I didn't fall into that, even though it's ironic that he started this just as the Kickstarter for our anthology, Alchemy of Sorrow, was finishing up. We were so jazzed to get to 24,000 with that Kickstarter, and then he like smashed that in the first probably three seconds of his Kickstarter being open, which is crazy. But I did not suffer from that jealousy. I think a lot of people did. And then there are plenty of people... Uh, talking about this being the death of publishing, which is ridiculous. And uh, Brandon Sanderson has actually addressed that in his Intentionally Blank podcast with Dan Wells. If you didn't know by now, I'm a giant Brandon Sanderson fan. Uh, So it'll come out. Obviously, I'm listening to all these podcasts and watching his live streams and whatnot. Um, And he said that uh, he never intended it that way. And he doesn't think it is that way. And there's been a lot of talk about how he's the only one who could do this because of his popularity and also the giant staff that he has to fulfill a thing like this after his big kickstarter last year but he did intend it to be a little bit of a wake-up call to new york publishing being like hey things are changing you're not doing well because you're not keeping up with the times so i think there is something to that death of publishing thing but like i said in the opener i don't find this inherently negative or bad even though yes there's a part of me that wishes i could drop a 42 million dollar kickstarter um i find it reassuring which may sound crazy, but uh, there's a lot of reasons, actually. And the there's one that I want to dig into in particular, uh, but there are a few. One of them is that uh, this massive author, probably the biggest author in fantasy, I don't know if you'd say like Neil Gaiman is bigger than him or Stephen King when he writes fantasy. I mean, Sanderson is up there, if not the one. But it's really cool to see him leaning on indie things. You know, he's put a lot of effort into creating this YouTube channel. Um, that he doesn't have to, to connect with readers and to monetize things directly. And uh, he kickstarted the special edition of Way of Kings last year, and that was huge. And he's doing this Kickstarter with these extra projects he has. Um, And I think he's kind of always had this indie spirit. I remember seeing him at a con in Minneapolis years ago, and his assistant Adam was carrying around boxes of uh, these little double novellas that were like uh, a cover on each side that flipped over like the old style and they were just selling them for 20 bucks like cash or whatever to whoever was there before he licensed the rights to them to whoever eventually put them out probably tour.com so he's always had this indie spirit but it feels like he's leaning into it more in recent years and I find that reassuring because it feels like an affirmation of the path that I've chosen and my read of the industry which is that If you want to make a living these days, unless you're a total whale savant like Stephen King, you probably need to do it indie because trad authors are just not making a living. So it's cool to see Sanderson sort of thinking ahead and shoring up his own position, even though he probably really doesn't need to. 
but it just feels affirming that way. Another way that I love it is that it shows that the man still has love for his craft, that you can have been writing for however many decades he has, I think at least 20 as a published author and a decade before that, and have all these expectations and have all this fan pressure and be in the middle of this massive, very ambitious series, and still love telling stories so much that you write secret projects that are just for your wife until you decide to share them with the world and have this massive record-breaking Kickstarter. It's just cool to know that you can keep your heart and keep your passion. Um, When I was in college, most of my friends were studio art majors, and one by one, all of them who came into that degree loving art and doing it in all their spare time uh, got that passion dwindled down to just doing it for assignments and leaving with a really muddled and confused feeling about their own art. And I saw it happen in the creative writing classes that I took too, um, which is really sad. So it's nice to see that that doesn't have to happen when you're a professional. And I really think it shouldn't happen in education either. But that is another topic, friends. This might be a little bit of a rambly podcast, so stick with me or not. (laughs) But the main reason that I find this massive Kickstarter reassuring and not the death knell of publishing or writing is that the books are good. Um, Or to put it another way, the books have heart. They uh, feel like he's having fun writing them and the characters are important. Sanderson, I feel I can lean a little bit too much on setting, especially and on twisty plots and lose the thread of characters that makes his book one so good. And these ones given are all book ones, but they all feel really focused on character. And that's awesome. Um, It just feels like that is the heart of a book and it makes us care about the book. So that's the main thing that I find reassuring, not only as, like I said before, an author to see that you can be this deep into the profession and still have a love for the craft, but also because um, as much as I love Sanderson, I have not been in love with his recent books as much. Like I said, I think his book ones are usually the best. Um, Way of Kings is still my favorite of the four Stormlight books that we have so far. Um, I really, really liked Skyward in the whatever it's called, the Skyward series. Uh, just read Cytonic recently, and it was definitely not his best. Um, and the same thing happened with the Reckoners. Steelheart was amazing, and they kind of went downhill from there. And the interesting is thing is that he often refers to these as his fun projects, or the books that he gets to write versus the ones he has to write, which probably back in the day was Wheel of Time, <laughs> and now is Stormlight Archive. So he has these two boxes in his mind. But I think maybe that book one is like the concept that's really grabbed him. And then, you know, if you're an SFF, you write a trilogy. And so the books two and three kind of become the books that you have to write versus the ones that you want to. And I think that slow decline um, really shows up in the books. Uh, I really feel like it's happening with Stormlight that um, book three was good. Book four was fine, but it's like, Book one was amazing and book two is really good. So it's interesting to think about what having to write a book means for someone like Brandon Sanderson, who is basically independently wealthy. (laughs) And yeah, he would have a lot of letdown fans and no one wants to live through what George R. R. Martin has lived through the last decade. But uh, it isn't as though he has to do this. And yet he has this feeling of have to that I think is a little bit poisonous for the quality of a book insofar as the book is art and not just craft. It's not just a thing you're making, but it's a thing that you love making and want to make. And when you have those feelings, it's going to be better. So I don't actually know what having to means for him or 
how he feels that these secret projects are different from his non-secret projects, but it comes through in the prose. And it's something that I thought about a lot as I uh, listened to the previews of these books. And Brandon's the one reading them, and you can just hear him delighting in his own prose as he's reading it, which is awesome. Um, That's how we all should be. And so uh, I don't know what it means for him, but I do know what it means for me. And maybe this is just semantics, but uh, for me, it's work versus play is that um, there are parts of being an author that can just feel like work. For me, the primary example is revision. I love writing the first draft of a book. That's when I've got all these ideas. I don't know how they're going to turn out. I'm discovering things as I write. I have like a clear progress every day. I can see how many words I put down. And I'm just like creating my brainchild from thin air. And that's awesome. I've always loved creating. And then revision is, okay, I made a thing. It's not that good. Let's make it better. And I have to go back and tweak and look at it analytically. And I can't really measure my progress in the same way. And it just feels like wandering in the weeds after my passion for visiting this strange and new land is gone. And the land is not so strange and new. And uh, full disclosure, that's where I'm at with Rebel of Riddle and Woe. But I'm not doing as badly as I used to. And more on that in a bit. Um, And there are other things like uh, advertising or even sections or chapters of a book for me sometimes can feel like work. And it's really interesting. What I've learned is that when I am not enjoying writing something, it's actually a pretty good litmus for there being something wrong with the story that I'm trying to tell. Um, I think discovery writers run into this a lot more. But the more I write, the more I like slide down that scale from planner to pantser. And so I think I have more discoveries of, oh, this doesn't feel right, even though it's what I planned. And if I look at the story carefully, I'd be like, okay, it's because this character is not acting like they should, or I didn't make that last thing as epic as it could be, or there's a plot hole that's staring at me um, that I haven't realized yet. So um, those things can make it feel like work. And that's interesting because it shouldn't be work. I mean, writing is explicitly get to play kind of work. I mean, that's why it's been my dream forever is because it sounds so awesome to do this for a living. And I think all authors feel like that, that it's a total dream to be able to make money doing this. So it's really interesting to think that even in the middle of this dream career, there can be work and there can be things that we have to do versus get to. And I think that in my stories, for sure, I always need to stay in that get to space. And I think for me, just in general, the trick is to stay in that get to space to feel like it's all play and not like work. Um, And I think that's easy to say and maybe harder to put into practice. But I have a trick for myself, at least. This is something that I thought about off and on and reflecting on the Kickstarter sort of crystallized it for me. But for me, um, if I'm in that have to space and things are feeling like work and they are not feeling like what I want to be doing with my life, because I often think about like, what am I doing with my life right now? What do I want to be doing with my life? Um, I think about why I'm doing them. You know, like if I'm creating ads or monitoring ads on Amazon or Facebook to sell my books, it sucks. It's not what I want to be doing, but it's directly connected to a thing I want to be doing, which is delivering my stories into the hands of readers and making a living at it. Those are two of two of my three biggest goals as an author, along with writing good books. And if I remember that, and I'm like, okay, this is the way that I do that thing, then even if it doesn't feel like play, it still feels like a get to because I have to create the ad, but I get to 
get my book in the hands of new people who may love it. It's um, I've been going through and reading reviews of my books. I haven't looked at my reviews for a while, and some of them have built up a lot in the last few months. And it's just really cool to go through and see total randos saying really nice things about this brainchild that I spent so long making and maybe didn't get that much feedback on before I put it out in the world. Um, that feels amazing. That's that's a you know that's a combination of all three. It means I wrote a good book. It means I got that book to somebody and that person loved it and probably gave me a little bit of money for it. So those are my three goals right there. Um, and staying in that space of this is how I get that can make it feel like it's not work or not a have to, even though it's not the thing that I necessarily want to do with my time. And I'm finding the more that I reflect on that, and I realize that I'm peeling back a lot of layers of the onion here, but bear with me, even if it's a little bit tear jerking, uh, that this is something that I can apply to a lot of areas in my life. The other one, the big one that comes up, which is the other big thing I do with my time is parenting. I love my kids and I spend a lot of time with them because of my strange career path. I get a lot of time to spend at home and they're neither of them are in school yet. So I get a lot of time with them, which is totally a lot of working parents dreams. But at a certain point, it's just a lot of time. And I'm like, gosh, I'd rather be writing or I would rather just have a little bit of silence instead of the constant demands of my two and four year olds. Um, and it can start to feel like a drag. It can start to feel like I have to, which is really sad because my kids will only be this age once. And the thing that I want to do with my life even more than be a writer is be a parent. I love it. And I love my kids and I want to be present for them. But still, it can segue into that have to work kind of space. And I've definitely discovered that the way to get out of that space and to get back into loving the time that I'm spending with them and being present with them is just to remember that ultimately this is what I want to do. Um, I remember when I had uh, COVID last fall and I had come off a month and a half of working fruit and not seeing them and expecting to fly the next day to be with them on the beach for two weeks. And instead, I woke up violently ill and spent 10 days in quarantine in my own house missing my kids and, you know, having that month and a half meter rank up to two months before I got to see them. And I got really depressed. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't even want to write. And that sort of proved to me that my basic job that I'm doing here in the world is is a parent, even more so than a creator. Um, or maybe you can think of parenting as a strange kind of creation. But at this point, I think of it more as like guiding. Um, but anyway, the trick works for me there, too. Uh, that if I remember the ultimate reason why I'm doing a thing, even if it doesn't feel that fun or playful in the moment, it gets me back in the space of being grateful to be doing it and that it ultimately feeling like play because I get to be a parent. I get to create these ads and sell my books to randos and have them love them. That's awesome. So I just have to take that extra step. And I hope that that uh, is something that can work for you if you relate at all to what I'm talking about. Um, I don't know if uh, I should tell Brandon Sanderson about this while he's in the middle of working on Stormlight 5. But anyways, this is why I find it reassuring is that uh, I can see that he still has a way to keep the passion even in the middle of being such a career author and that I have a way to do it too um, because I am such a career parent and all these other things. And the other thing that came up just as a last note on this uh is that if it feels like a have to and you search for that ultimate reason and you can't find it, then that might be a sign that you should just straight up quit. 
and quitting is a cool thing that Glennon Doyle talks about a lot. Uh, if you haven't heard her talk about quitting, she's a big quitter. <laughs> and I think we should all strategically quit in our lives because there's only so much time in the day and in the hours we get on this earth. And if it doesn't feel like play and something you get to do and you don't have an ultimate reason for being there, then just quit. So anyways, uh, before I go, a little progress on the things I get to do. I am seven chapters into that Rebel of Riddle and Woe uh, alpha revision. I got my alpha notes back. I'm making some crazy big changes that are a lot of work. Uh, and I am having to definitely remind myself uh, every day I get to do this because I want this to be the best book it can be. And I get to make it a better book. I don't have to just pump it out there. I don't have a timeline in the way that Sanderson probably does. And it's helped a lot to help me not despise my revisions as I usually do. The Gatsna novella is, uh, I finished the revision based on Alpha Notes and it's out to some beta readers. So I'm waiting to hear what they say and then that'll just be more of a polish and finish up and proofread and narrate and then I will have a novella for you, which is awesome. I'm super excited about that. That's a thing that I don't have to work to feel good about. I love the act of publishing because it's like the completion of creating that brainchild and seeing it sort of become physically available in the world. Even if this novella I probably will not put into a print edition right away, it's still a thing you can see on Amazon and buy and download. Although for you, dear listener, it will be free. I'll have a way for you to download it for free um, as soon as I'm done with it. And I'm dabbling in some advertising. Speaking of have-tos, I had a goal of studying advertising before the season finished and because i have not gotten that many work days in this season i'm not going to get there it's going to be a push just to get the novella and novel done but uh nonetheless i feel driven to get better at advertising so i've been dabbling in some of that too and it honestly feels good it's not that hard to remember that there's a reason why i'm doing it so i hope that going forward it won't be like the old days when i was advertising and avoided it at all costs (laughs) Um, In my reading, I'm still reading the Cradle series. It's still awesome. This is a series that you can tell always felt like a get-to. It's just fun. Sometimes it's illogical. Sometimes there's huge time gaps, which are crazy, but it's just fun. It's a bunch of fight scenes and like, yeah, I just, I'm enjoying it a lot. It's the right thing for where I'm at in my life right now. Um, So anyway, I have rambled on long enough. Thanks for sticking with me to the end. I'm going to get back to the have-to-do things that I get to do. I'll have that novella for you soon, and hopefully a novella or a novel not long after. Until then, I hope this podcast finds you well, and in the company of a lot of good books that you get to read. (laughs) Till next time, read on. For more information on Levi Jacobs and his books, including the award-winning Tide Collar Chronicles, please visit www.levijacobs.com. Or for a free audiobook, only available to podcast listeners, Go to www.levijacobs.com slash free. Thanks for listening and read on.